This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all our Torah Anytime viewers. So, Pesach. Pesach is coming. Pesach came very quickly this year. I don't know if it was me, maybe because I, it was a busy year, but this year, wow, it just like shot out of nowhere. The, um, actually, before we even begin the topic, there's, there's a, few, a few announcements I have to make. Uh, not really applicable to people over here, but maybe more onto the camera. Um, and I, I mentioned this in the men's class also. Like, if you're a father, a man, sitting by the Sadal, do a little preparation before you sit down. And not that you have to be like, okay, we got to take, uh, you know, the cup. Now we fill it. Now we clean it. When do we clean it? When does your article thing say? What does your article say? No one knows what's going on. Everyone's there. Like, do a little research and know just a little bit what's going on in the Sadal. Number two, and this is so important, if you're having, and you hopefully should have, like, like people that have never been to a Pesach Seder ever, and they come to you for a Pesach Seder, that's awesome, that's great, we should do that definitely, but this is like a little, you know, personal request, just let them know the program. Because they're going to become there hungry, never been to a Pesach Seder before in their life, and they're sitting there, just imagine the scenario, you're coming to invite for a meal for the first time, and you've never been there before, and everyone's coming in, if you're Ashkenaz, you're wearing a white robe, right, maybe you have a wand, depending on, you know, like you're, you're in like a different world, there's like all the silver dishes that you possibly own, and you, you could possibly borrow, it's all over the table, and uh, then all of a sudden everyone's like hungry and this, and cutting in there, and they sit down, and they start handing books out. You'd be like, this is the reading material for today's program. And, you know, like, think of a guy who's never been there before. All of a sudden, he's doing this. That, that could come, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a little bit as a shock. Besides the fact that finally when you get some food, you get a little piece of celery or some this, and you put it in tears and this, and then you got to get bitter stuff. Just explain to them, know the situation, be like, hey, listen, the food's going to come, it's going to be good, but we're going to speak about it for like six hours first, or however long you guys go for, and then we're going to, uh, to get to it. The, okay, those are two things that I felt like I needed to uh, get off, uh, you know, it is, it, is, uh, it is very, very important. But okay, so let us begin to understand the Pesach Sadal, the, 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 you know, what we're, we're doing on this, on this holy, amazing night. Now, when you look at the Pesach Sadal, and if you actually look at it, you know, it's very, very interesting. When you're dealing at, um, I like dealing with... Jewish things from a very basic level because people don't know basic levels, unfortunately. Uh, people are worrying, and I'll give you um, this idea like this. You know, people come and they'll tell you like numerical values, which I love, by the way. It's great. It's awesome. Of like 7,000 and you divide it by 4,000 and you get the equal number. This is my name and this is why I'm here today. And you go through this whole thing. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's great. But it doesn't like speak to people like, why are we doing over here? Like, okay, that's very nice. So matzah equals another. That's great. That's beautiful. And and it's humility, but why? Like, what's going on over here? You you have to think of a way that imagine. You know, you have like those those kids. So uh, they go and they start asking questions. What are their questions? The questions are usually like, why? And then you answer them, and they'll. It doesn't matter what the question is. This, this, you know, why is it hot? Because of the sun. The sun is you know trying shining in, and there's a lot of heat in the sun. Why? Because uh, you know, <laughs> there's stuff in the orbit, and there's like stars, and there's like heat, and there's like yeah, but why? And you know, why does it fall? Why this? Why this? So eventually, you answer until you have no more guesses, so, you know, to figure it out, and then you'd be like, you know, go ask your mother or whatever, go find somebody else. But if you think of it in Judaism, when you keep on like, why are we doing what we're doing? Like, what is going on over here? You look at the Pesach said though, and everyone. Goes to the pestle side. Like you've been through the pestle side, you'd be like, "Yeah, it's cool. Okay, we're used to it. We lean to this side and we eat. We get only the last side because we're going to choke. And you know, we got to drink four cups. We got to eat a lot of matzah in a very short period of time. It's great for the bowel. It's like you know, the things that we do that we have no idea what's going on and why do we do it here? And listen to some basic ideas that I'm sure many of us did not even have a you know a a, a you know a, a, an idea that it was a question. You look at the basic things of Pesach. We look at, you know, Abigail says, we read it in the, in the Haggadah, if you don't say these three things, you are in Yotzeh. Pesach, Matzah, Umaro. If you break those things up, those three basic stuff, you have Pesach, Matzah, Umaro. Pesach is denoting freedom. Matzah is something that's denoting slavery. Oh, it's possibly could also be denoting something else. And then you have Maro, which is bitterness, which is denoting slavery. So in one sentence, we're saying freedom and slavery. And we're sort of giving this vibe of freedom and slavery throughout the entire conflicting setup. And if you think about it, we, let's look at the four questions. The four questions, these are the questions that every kid learns in like Spanish, English, or whatever, any language that they know that they're going to go and they're going to come and they're going to say it. And they're asking the questions. Do you ever really think about those questions? Like, what are the questions that they're asking? It's very conflicting questions. So the first question is they ask is, how come on all other nights we dip once? Tonight we dip twice. 
that denotes what? Slavery or more freedom? You think more, more dipping, more freedom. Well, we're going to see. This is a preliminary understanding of things. Right? We're dipping, we're dipping twice. That's, that's denoting um, uh, freedom. Then we say on this, the second question is, on all other nights we eat bread. Tonight we're eating matzah. Is that slavery or freedom? Is matzah slavery or freedom? Does anybody here willingly eat matzah? Right? On purpose. But I'm not saying that yeah, it's delicious. It's not. But I'm saying if you have some good... I don't know, they tell me Bukharian bread is a thing, right? They're like, you know, like, oh, Bukharian bread. Like, you have a chance, I've never eaten Bukharian bread, but imagine, oh, it's nothing? I don't know. I know you're not Bukharian. Yeah. Huh? It's like matzah. It's like matzah, is that what it is? Okay, I thought, it, I thought it's something like, uh, supposed to be like, uh, cool or that. Okay, let's ask like this. You know what, let me, let me rephrase the question. All right, you go to our shawarma house and be like, yeah, could you wrap it up please in a matzah? You're like, when was the last time that you are like going to go out somewhere and you want to eat something in a matzah? No, you eat it with the bread, you eat it with that. So matzah is, you know, I mean, it's very expensive, it's more expensive than bread, but usually if you think about it, the taste wise is a step down. Now we're soon going to see where it actually falls into, but if you think about it, matzah, preliminary, it looks like it's more slavery style. So we have here, first one, dipping twice, freedom. Second one, slavery, uh, matzah. Third one is we have on all the nights, we, we eat uh, regular herbs. Today we're eating bitter herbs, ma'al. Why are we eating ma'al? Ma'al is slavery. And then finally we recline. We recline because we're like kings. You're giving mixed signals all out throughout the night. Just let the kid know. Are we kings? Are we that? We lean, but we eat bitter stuff. We drinking wine, but you know, but, but we're, dipping, we're dipping twice. Like what's going on over here? Are we free or are we slaves? You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah this is very unfortunate because it's actually uh, you know, co- pretty common. It's where you have... Two parents. One parent is religious, the other parent is not religious. What do you think the kid is going to end up being? The kid's going to end up being, you know, he keeps kosher, you know, on Wednesdays, and, you know, Shabbos on Tuesdays, you know, and he decides whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do. And you ask him, are you religious? Yeah, I'm religious. You know, he looks at his mother, he looks at his father, one, you know, one keeps kosher, one doesn't keep kosher, one keeps Shabbos, the other one doesn't keep Shabbos. It's a terrible, and you're giving mixed signals to the kids. It's one of the worst things. Parents you need to be united together to, in order to educate the children. So, um, obviously, one is better than none, and it's not going to say, okay, like, let's be united together and do nothing. But at the same point in time, you want to give a good value system to your children, you got to be united. So what's with the mixed signals? It's like, you know, you have a, you have a father that'd be like, I love you, but then I smack you, but I love you, and then I smack you, but I love you, and then I smack you. Be like, what's going on? I don't understand what's going on over here. If you stop for a second, and you think about what's going on in the Sunday, are we free or are we slaves? If we're free, get rid of the bitter herbs, get rid of the matzah, let's eat lafas, let's eat bhala, I don't know, let's eat something else, give me some hummus to dip in. The, what, what, why are we doing both? We should do either one or either other ones. Is this clear? Is this a question? Start off with, let's first understand matzah. Matzah is, there's, if you realize matzah in itself is conflicting. Because matzah, we ate, what is, it's poor man's bread. Halach this is poor man's bread. Right, people say why is it poor man's bread because it's so expensive, so it makes you poor. But it's poor man's bread because poor people eat it. Why do poor people eat it? Poor people ate it because it takes a. Re- First of all, you don't have to wait for the bread to rise. You're so hungry, you just eat it right away. You're starving. The secondly, it it takes a long time to congest, which I'm sure anybody that has ever been through any Pesach ever could attest to that. So you have the ability that the food lasts longer, you're fuller, so it, it's it's more beneficial. So it's poor man's bread. But in the second t- uh, second place, we ate it because we were free, because we were able to go out. We didn't have time for it to rise. So what are we eating it for? Are we eating it for are we free? Are we eating it for are we um, are we slaves? And are we? Uh, I never thought about. Oh, good, good, good. That you know what it is. That is what what's the problem in Judaism? A lot of time, people just go through the motions. You ever stop for a second, stand back, and be like, "What's going on over here?" If you're confused now, the more that you're confused now, I mean, not, I hope not confused about the question. The question should make you very confused when we get to the answers. I like, oh, that's good. Examine these things and realize it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It's like a new age, but never like. The It is so unbelievable. If anybody wants, like, uh, you know, when you're when you're dealing in in a. Pesach said there, you got to speak to the people there. You really got to speak to the people there. If you're not speaking to the people there, I mean, you know, you go with little kids and they come home from yeshiva, from the religion, right? They come with a binder like this big, bigger than them, right? And they open it up, you know, it's usually, it's it's vegata You have to teach your your, your children. Now it's now it's now it's la Now you got to tell, now the children are teaching the parents. But when they're, when you're going over there, you're leading the side there, you're sitting over there, you want to say something, Speak to the crowd. Speak to whoever's there. When I first started speaking years years ago, I had a, a little bit more time on my hand. I used to prepare for practically every single class that I would give. I would give. I would prepare three different classes, and depending who would show up, is that the class that I would give? So um, now, unfortunately, I don't have the time to do that. But 
that, that is, you, you have to know who you're speaking to. You have to speak to the people there. So when you're, the Ben Ishchai Agadah, I feel, is able to speak to everybody. Because it's full of stories, full of parables, full of things. I don't get a percentage, maybe in heaven, I don't know, I hope, uh, you know, if you buy it. But it's such a great Agadah. It's such a great Agadah. I've got, I should have brought it inside over, you know, here. It, they have it in English, they have it in Hebrew. It's a Ben Ishchai on, on Pesach. It says such beautiful stories. So, Ben Ishchai, yeah, it's like a red cover. Mm-hmm. So, the, he brings down uh, one story like this. There was once a uh, young shepherd boy that was doing shepherding things. <coughs> and as he was, as he was uh, you know, going and watching his sheep, he would have a flute and he would play along the flute. One day the king was traveling past by and he hears in the distance this beautiful, beautiful you know, sounding music. And he stops the carriage and he says, you know, you hear that? He says, that's unbelievable. This guy's probably, who knows what. And they start following the music until they see a little boy sitting in a bunch of hay, you know, watching some sheep and playing a flute. And, and the king's like, this is unbelievable. He calls the boy over and he tells him, and he goes to the boy and he says, listen, he says, uh, where did you learn how to play? This is unbelievable. You play so beautifully. And he says, well, listen, you know, I get bored. I'm out over here. I'm sitting over here in the, you know, in the field watching the sheep. I get bored. So I got myself a flute and I started listening to the, to the noises. After when I blow and I hit this one, I blow, I hit this one, I blow, I hit this one. And then I started combining the music together. So the king was looking at this little boy. He's composing music that he doesn't has never heard before. He's like, this is unbelievable. So he started speaking to him, and he saw that he was really, really smart, really bright. And he says, uh, he says, what do you, what do you, you know, what's your name and which village are you from? So he tells him the name, the name of the village. He tells the king goes to his officer and he says, uh, bring the boy and his father tomorrow to my palace. I want to speak to them. So the father comes in the next day with the boy to the king, and the king says to the father, he says, listen, he says, uh, your boy is, is, you know, he's a prodigy, this guy is unbelievable, he's amazing, I was speaking to him, his brain is unbelievable, to waste his life as a shepherd is, uh, it, you know, it's a shame, he's, he says, I have a proposition for you, he says, let me educate him, let me bring him to my, uh, you know, to, to my, you know, educational system, teach him everything about finance, about the government, when he gets older, he's going to get a high government official, uh, you know, job. He says, you know, I'm the king, I want, well, I'm going to do it anyways, but I'm going to ask you as a father because it's nice. Do you have the permission? The father says, you know, of course, you know, it's like getting accepted to Harvard, you know, without, uh, without doing anything. He says, yeah, by all means, whatever he needs to, you know, for his boy is going to have an unbelievable life if he works for, you know, as a government official, becoming a duke, a lord, whatever they, you know, uh, you become when you, when you, that's a duke and a lord, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who cares? So, um, he goes and the boy starts going and he starts going, uh, you know, he leaves the shepherding business and he gets into, uh, with the king and they start educating him and this kid is like picking up everything. This kid is smart. He's quick. He's on his feet and the King keeps on checking up on him, and the teachers are like praising him beyond, you know, any, you know, like this guy's unbelievable. Few years pass by, he gets, uh, you know, he graduates, and he goes and he gets into his first uh, government, uh, you know, position in financing, and he is working so well. The king became this became like a personal favorite for the king, and uh, the king is, you know, promoting him here, promoting him left, promoting him right, and he keeps on going higher and higher and higher. Now what happens when you have, you know, a bunch of people that are his co-workers that are also working in the government officials and they see that this little guy who comes from nowhere, who comes from nothing, you know, is going so high in the government. Meanwhile, these are the children of the dukes, the children of the governors of the other places. They're sitting there and they're stuck in their own, in their same position. So they started talking about this kid. And they, and they say, listen, you know, you know, this kid, you know, go to the king and be like, I know he's your favorite. Um, I, I'm not saying anything, but people are speaking and saying stuff, you know. What, what are people doing? People are speaking, you know, they're saying stuff. Now you hint some stuff because you don't want to, and, and slowly they started, you know, placing these little subtle hints. Eventually the, the hints started getting stronger because the king wasn't doing anything. The king's like, no, this guy is good. I know him. I trust him. Comes a, uh, um, a short while later and finally the, the accusations becomes, you know, this guy's stealing from you. He's financed. You don't know what's going on. Of course, he, you know, he's, he's robbing you left and right. The king says, I know for a fact that he's not. But to silence everybody, I'll investigate the matter. And he calls the, um, the this uh, this you know duke this now this new duke this uh, this uh, you know shepherd and he says listen he says you've been working for quite a few years he says you know there's word around town he says I happen to trust you I believe you but in order to silence others I'm going to have to do a little investigation the guy says yeah of course by all means he says the king says we're going now to your house and we're gonna go we're gonna you're gonna give me around the tour and we're gonna see what's uh, what's uh, what's going on in there he said so the king's thinking he says. If this guy is robbing me, then I'll see how he's living. I'll be able to see if he's living lavishly, like higher than his means. And I know something, he's getting money from other places. But if he's living like everybody else, which is again, very comfortable, uh, then I know there's nothing to worry about. 
So the guy says, of course, by all means. He brings him to his, uh, to his house, he opens a door, and he takes him a tour. You know, this is the living room, this is the dining room, this is that, whatever. Going from room to room to room to room to room. Finally, the king's like, very nice, he's walking through the entire thing. And then, as they're about to leave, you know, the, um, he sees that this, you know, this old shepherd just walks really fast by one room. So the king's like, you know, it's like a little like nook in the corner with a little door. He says, uh, what's, uh, you know, what's, what's in that uh, room, the king says. So the shepherd's like, ah, nothing, that's just to give us a little storage, there's nothing, there's nothing in there. So the king says, no, let's, you know, I want to look at the whole, uh, the whole house, uh, let's look at that room. The shepherd said, really, you know, it's, it's nothing, you know, let's just go, come on, you saw I have nothing in here, let's go, we'll have a drink, we'll have a good time, you know, like, there's nothing to do, do over here. So the king was starting to get suspicious, you know, now when you say no to this one, he says, Imagine you go and you rent in someone's house, and they say you could open up every door except that door, right? What's the first thing that you're going to do, right? Probably leave, because there's something more going on in there, because why don't you want me to open that door? But if you're staying, you're opening that door. Uh, of course, you're not allowed to, halakhically, of course, you know, but... Um, so the king started getting, you know, like, what's going on over here? He says, you know, I need to know what's inside this door. He says, you're opening this door right now. So the guy says, fine, you know, he takes out his keys... You know, maybe I had a change, maybe I didn't, I don't know why I'm doing this. So he takes out his keys, he puts it in his door, he opens it up, and the king steps over the, the threshold. He looks inside, the room is completely bare. The king is looking all around, there's nothing there except a box in the middle. And the king is like, okay, there must be a safe somewhere here, right? So the king's like knocking for like a safe, there's like nothing, there's nothing here. So the king says, uh, he looks at the box, he says, oh, what's in the box? So the guy says, it's nothing, don't worry about it, leave it, there's, there's nothing here. So the king says, this is it, this is where I got it, and it's, it's right in here. The king takes a box, he opens it up, and Jack jumps out, no. And he comes out, and there is a, there's a shepherd, there's a shepherd clothing there with a little flute over there. So the king says, what's going on over here? He says, what's, what's this? So the guy is started getting embarrassed, he says, to be honest, he says, uh, he says, you know, every day, twice a day, I come into the room in the morning and once in the morning and once at night. He says, and I look at what I, what, you know, what I have, what I've accomplished in, you know, in my life. And I know that it's all thanks to you. And I come in here and I put on, well, I can't put on the clothes, but I try. And I play the flute to just remember where I came from and realize what do I have to be thankful to the king for where I came to right now. Because if not for the king taking me out of that field, I would have still been a shepherd. He says, I would have not had all this. So twice a day I come in here, I play the flute, because that reminds me where my origin from and how thankful I have to be to the king. Says the king, he says, now I know. This is wiping his tears away. It's the most beautiful thing ever. ever, ever, ever. Uh, and he says, uh, um, you know, that is, you know, now I have nothing to worry about. I know someone like you will never ever steal. And not only did he not do any, he, oh, he promoted him higher and higher and higher. And he, and he, anybody that ever tried to say anything against him was, was quickly, uh, you know, quickly uh, dished out of the, out of the kingdom. The, comes Pesach. And we're, we're free now. Alright, we're living in America. We do what we want, when we want, how we want, right? This is how every teenage kid does us. And we go in there, and we're sitting inside, and we're like, Pesach, Matzah, and Marol. Are we free or are we slaves? And the answer is, yeah, we're, we're free now. But remember where you came from. Remember where you are before, because you're never going to be able to be thankful for something until you remember where you came from. You ever know that, what is that saying? That you don't appreciate what you have until you almost lost it? You don't appreciate what you have until you start thinking about things. And Pesach, the night is supposed to be start, you're supposed to start thinking about these things. You're free now, but think about the marol. Think about the bitterness. Think about the matzah. Think about where you are and where you came from. That is lesson number one. Lesson number one is you realize it's a night of being gratefulness. It's a being thankful to God. How are you going to be thankful if you don't appreciate? And the only way that you can appreciate is to realize where you come from. We, you know, in, um, usually in holidays, almost in everything, what do we say? The Shana Babi Wushalayim. At the end of everything, you know, we, we say at, usually at the end of things, next year in Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. You ever realize usually in holidays when we do these things, it's usually at the end of the holidays. Pesach, right in the beginning, halach ma'anya, the first thing in the Seder, we say hashtahacha, now we're here, l'shana abad, but next year, next year we're going to be Yerushalayim. How come in Pesach we do it in the beginning and everything else we do it at the, you know, we do it at the end? So, the question is asked is why are we not eating Kalman Pesach this year? So the Pesach can only be eaten by the Bet HaMikdash. We're only going to have a Bet HaMikdash when Mashiach comes. Why isn't Mashiach here anymore? Why don't we eat what? Karpen Pesach. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. My apologies. Okay. So, so, <laughs> should we start again? Am I in English today? Or am I not? Am I not the, okay. So, okay. So the question is like this. question is, usually we say, at the end, right? You're with me so far. Okay. But over here, usually we're saying it in the beginning. We're saying it by 
Halachmania. We're saying right at the beginning of the Seder, next year we'll be in, in, in Jerusalem. Usually we say it at that. The question is, is why are we not in Jerusalem? Because we don't have Mashiach. Now the next question is, why don't we have Mashiach? Well, why don't we deserve it? What do we do? Well, why? 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 Very good. Thank you very much. See, look at that. Just pressure you and you get the answers. So, the, the answer is because we have baseless hatred. The reason why the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed was because of baseless hatred. We don't have it now because we didn't fix it yet. So now the question is like this. If the, you know, we're starting off the Sedal next year in Jerusalem, and we have a whole thing about, like, why don't we put something inside the Sedal regarding baseless hatred? Like, let's get rid of the baseless hatred. And uh, so we could have next year, really, in Yerushalayim. So the... No, it's for the first uh, three big ones. Right. So. We're talking about second Beth Amigdash. Yeah. So now, the... Okay, so now to understand this, there's there's something very interesting when you think about Pesach. A lot of ideas are getting thrown tonight, so you have to follow with me. And when you, when you, at the end, it's going to all packaged together beautifully. There's a lot of things that are going on in the mouth on Pesach. You realize, for example, Sukkot. Sukkot, we deal with the body. We go and we sit in the sukkah, we, we shake the lulav and talk. It's a very body-oriented thing. Pesach is very mouth-oriented. Think of it like this. We have a mitzvah of sipu yitziyat mitzvah. We have to tell over, we have to say the story of the exodus of Egypt. That's with the mouth. We have the obligation of drinking four cups. Again, with the mouth. We have the obligation of eating Pesach matzah in Marot. Again, with the mouth. We know that Pesach in Hebrew means pe is a mouth. Sach that speaks, because Pesach is a mouth that speaks. We're dealing with the mouth that we're speaking about the exodus of Egypt. That's why Paro is, if you break it up, for those who know Hebrew, is Pera, an evil mouth. He was dealing with the evil in the mouth. What was his evil mouth? Is that he was going, he, he did Avodat Parech, also, with the pet. And he, how did he do that? Through a Perach, through a soft mouth. He was able to be like, no, come, you're going to come work for us, and we're going to pay you. And then he switched everything around. Moshe Rabbeinu, the hero, right, the, the casting lead. And what is he, what is, what was he? He was Aras Fatah, he wasn't able to speak. He was there. There was so much going on with the mouth. Why is everything so much going on with the mouth? And the answer is, the Chavetz Chaim says, what was we, why did we get destroyed? Why did the first Bethlehem was destroyed? Because of Sinat Chinam. Baseless hatred, which means, through evil speech. So the entire Pesach, we're dealing with speech to correct the speech. But we are just like, you know, we're like leaning and we're beating with this. We're, you know, we're like, alright, let's hurry this up. We gotta sing the songs. We don't even stop for a second to think of what, why are we doing what we're doing? Ben Yishchai says like this. He goes like this and he says, it's even further. We dip twice. Says the Benishai, why do we dip twice? We dip, why, where do we dip twice? We dip once in the, the kapas goes in the, in the salt water, and then we dip the mara in the chaoset. So we dip twice. Why? The Benishai, the first dipping is the kapas into the, into the salt water. That is to commemorate the first dipping in the Torah. What was the first dipping in the Torah? Is where Yosef's brothers dipped his coat in the blood. We see in Genesis, in, in uh, Bereshit, Parashat Vayeshev, chapter 37, verse 3, it says, Yaakov made for Yosef a ktonet pasim, this, this beautiful coat. The brothers went and they dipped that coat in the blood. If you look at Rashi over here, we're getting a little deep today. I'm sorry, we're going a little, uh, you know, uh, not the, the usual. You, go to, you, you look at Rashi, Rashi says, you know what ktonet pasim is? It says they're karpas. The same letters, the same thing that we dip, that's what he calls, it's obviously referring to a, a color, green, but it says specifically karpas. What is Rashi bringing down over here, karpas? What does karpas have to do with Yosef? Explains the Ben Ishchai, when we're dipping, the first dipping, that's to remind you why we're in Galut. Why are we still in exile? We're still in exile, what was the first sin? The first sin of the dipping was, was baseless hatred. The brothers started ba- hating Yosef because he had dreams, because he, had, so he was something better than them. So they started hating him, they started speaking bad about him. The first dipping, they dipped it in the blood, we're going to dip to commemorate that. We're dipping in the salt water to remember what? Remember where you came from. Remember why you're still here in Galut. Remember why you're in exile. Then we go to the second dipping. The second dipping we go, it's based off the, the, the Pasuk in Shemot, chapter 12, verse 22. You have to take a bundle of hyssop, this, uh, this, you know, this bunch of twigs, you, it's not twigs, whatever. It's a, you, you wrap it together and you dip it into the blood and then you, you plaster it on the wall of the, of, the, of the houses. He says, what is this referring to? He says that the, this, this, this putting the blood on the, on the doorpost, this was the beginning of the redemption. The first dipping that we did is, is commemorating, and by the way, this is where we dipped the chaoset into the, uh, the mao into the chaoset. The first dipping that we did with the karpas, are you guys still with me? Yeah. yeah, you're still with me. The first dipping that we did into the karpas, that is commemorating the first sin that we had. 
The first, the first sin that we got itself is into the exile. What was that? What was that sin? Sinat chinam, baseless hatred. That's what we got. That's what we went down to Egypt. Everything goes down to that. If we have time, we can even explain that. Everything started off from that. Everything was a, was a catalyst from that. How do we get out of it? That's the second dipping. The second dipping is what? The second dipping is, is that we're, we're, uh, taking the, the bundle, the aguda, and that's the way to getting out. That is the beginning of the redemption. Now there's something very interesting about that second dipping. Now, uh, it says specifically agudat ezov. Agudat means bundle, like unity, like you combine together, together. Think of it like achdut. Achdut and aguda is the same idea. You want to get out of the exile, you want to get out of the, the galut, you gotta be united together. Like the aguda that we have to put on our doorpost. Am I going too fast? Today, yes. Oh, okay, fine. Just so, the first time. <laughs> no, this topic, I feel like... Let's do a recap. How about this? Let's do a recap. I got it. Like Maybe it. other people didn't. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get excited, so I go fast. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's, 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 do a, let's do a quick recap of where we are until now. We started off very, very... We'll make it very, very simple and very easy. If you look at through the Seder night, it looks very confu- confusing. We do things that denote freedom, and we do things that denote slavery. And the basic stuff you look at it is in the four questions. The four questions, part of it, you know, we dip twice, but we eat matzah. We recline, but we eat bitter herbs. So the question is, are we free or are we slaves? Make up your mind. Why are we sending mixed signals? So then we went and, uh, and we said with another question. The other question was, was regarding exile. We're in exile now because of baseless hatred. And we start off the Sedal, next year we will be in Jerusalem. But the question is, if we're starting off with next year we'll be in Jerusalem, why don't we just tell us how to get to be in Jerusalem? What's with all the, you know, you're telling me there, let's, let's, let's do it. Let, yeah, let's, let's be next year in Jerusalem. Tell me what to do. And the question is, it doesn't look like it's inside the Haggadah, but it actually is. And that's where we started explaining the two dipping. The two dippings are what? The two dippings are, one of them shows us why we're in exile, the other one shows us how to get out of the exile. The first dipping tells us, we're dipping, we're dipping in the, for the Ketone Pasim, like for, for the baseless hatred that Yosef got sent down to Egypt. The second dipping is how you're gonna get out. The beginning of the redemption was by putting the blood on the doorpost. That's when we started getting out. How are we going to do that? Because just look at the words that they use. Agudat. Agudat is, is achdut. It's like unity. When we unite together, we get rid of the baseless hatred. When we get rid of the baseless hatred, now we're going to go get, get out of exile. Thus far, so clear. Wait, what does that have to do with the we, we have to, the agudat, you have to, you have to bundle it together to dip it. Yeah. Now we don't. This is by the time when we went out of, out of Egypt. Okay. So, Rabbi Fran goes and explains, uh, you know, based off Rabbi Chana Wasserman, you know that there's, uh, throughout history, you know, Jewish people got accused of the blood libels, where they said that, you know, that we are killing Christian children, or I don't know, anybody else, and we're taking the blood and we're putting it in Matzot or in any other place. The question that he asked is, how come every single time we're always focusing on Passover stuff? Like, it's always, we're always killing Christian kids on Passover. Like, how come it's not on Sukkot, Shavuot, any of the other holidays? Why specifically on Passover? So, the answer, um, he says, he says because, what? Well, Rabbi Fran brings it down based on Rabbi Chana Wasserman. The, I actually heard that, like, recently, there was, like, this one guy was saying that, like, Jews put, like, the water of, like, children in, like, the Hanukkah. Oh, that's a new one. Yeah. So, okay. So, until this guy came around... <laughs> Everybody was just, uh, this guy ruined it. This guy ruined my entire share. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. So, um, um, it's fine. So, anyways, let's, we'll, we'll get the, let's, let's, let's leave the questions to that. So now, in general, most of the problems come on Passover with the blood libels and that. And even though, you know, like, I, I, you know, I don't think Jews were murdered because of that. Back then, Jews were murdered because, you know, the, they found, you know, dead Christian child and said they were using it for matzahs. So the question is, why specifically on Passover does this thing come up? And he goes and he answers, uh, Rabbi Matasio Solomon says that, uh, he also links in that the Pesach and the 9th of Av are very closely related. How are they closer? First of all, the first, the, the way, the night that the first night of Passover falls out on, that's gonna be the same night that Tisha B'Av falls out. Like five months later, but it's gonna be the same night of the, of the, of the week. Same day of the week. So, he says that if we don't learn our lesson on Passover, on Pesach, 
then five months down the line, we're going to have to deal with the Shabbat. So we also we take an egg. Egg denotes also the the um, the morning, and we dip the egg in the salt water. It's also commemorating that if we don't wake up and realize why we're not out of exile anymore, then we miss the idea of Passover, and we're going to have to deal with Tisha B'Av five months later. The Ben Ishai goes on, and he says that you know. The Jews, where did they have the merit to leave Egypt? Because they had, they had the merit, they didn't change the names, language, or address. But he brings down, there's also a medush in Vayikarabah that says that B'nai Israel, when the Jewish people stopped talking bad about each other, that's when they became worthy of redemption. Which means is when they stopped speaking ill about each other, when they stopped speaking Lashonara, that's when they started getting um, to, uh, to be able to redeem. Now maybe this is why, if we look at the beginning, when we started off the, the Haggadah, and Halach Ma'anya, Halach Ma'anya is the part that we say in Aramaic, that is speaking about the Matzah. If we, if we look at it, we start off, we start off, call different Yesev Whoever is hungry, come and eat. Call Ditzrech Yesev Whoever is, whoever wants to celebrate, come, whoever needs to celebrate, come and celebrate. We're inviting people all of a sudden. Right? And if you think about it, we're dealing with like, like, you have like poor man bread over here, and we're like, who wants poor man's bread? You know, like we're inviting people over here. Like it seems very, very out of place. And then right after that, we say, you know, and, and you'll shine. And if you break it up, maybe we'll be able to understand what exactly is the meaning behind this. It says very simply, if you break it up, it says, this is the poor man's, I'm going to read it just in English. This is the poor man's bread that we ate in Mitzrayim. If you're hungry, then also we're inviting people. We're having the achtut. We're inviting people. You're hungry, come and eat. You need it, you come over here. We're inviting everybody. Oh, what happens after you invite it? Now this year you're going to be here. About the Shana Israel. But next year you got the idea of inviting. You got the idea of achtut. You got the idea of removing the basis of hatred. Next year you're going to be in Israel. In Yerushalayim. This is also why we can go and, and try to understand a little bit about the Koban Pesach. The Koban Pesach also has the idea, the theme of unity, the theme of Achdut. There are certain laws that you have to do for, the, for this Koban. Number one, it has to be eaten as a group. Also, a group that's unity, you have to be united. There's not one bone may be broken, which means no Jew left behind. Everybody has to be together. The Koban has to be roasted and it cannot be cooked. Because when you roast something... It becomes more, it becomes tighter. It doesn't fall off easy. If you cook something, it could easily fall off. So we're becoming united and strong. Anything that is left over of this korban has to be destroyed. Which means we, we don't leave any Jew, any Jew behind. And being that the entire thing has to be eaten in one night, and you have to send invitations out beforehand, it's impossible to eat the entire carbon by yourself. You have to invite people. You have to get... It's all about unity. The whole entire thing, if you just open your eyes, it's all screaming to you, wake up and let's get out of this exile. So, the... I'll tell you, I'll share with you a story. Uh, there was Rev. Usher Weiss. The, he relates a story about his father's uh, survival in Auschwitz. That his father, when his father arrived in Auschwitz on the first day of Shavuot, his, uh, it was the last time that he saw his father and his five siblings. They were all sent directly to the gas chambers. Thank you. And he was, uh, you know, he, he was the only one that survived. When he got there, he, he was in the same area as the Klosenberger Rebbe, which was a, a very big Hasidic Rebbe. And he asked, he, he, he tried to convince one of the bunkmates of the rabbi to let's switch places so I could be next to the rabbi. So the rabbi saw him that he did that. So the rabbi goes over to him and says, you know, it's not going to help you anymore to be near me than near anybody else. And the, you know, so the, so this, so this boy said, says, you know, I know it's not gonna help me here. He says, but at least this way we're gonna be able to talk and learning. He says, I'll be able to learn with you. So the rabbi, you know, is very surprised by the answer. He says, he says, you're in Auschwitz and you're thinking about learning? That's what you want? And he's like, yeah. He says, like, if we don't learn, how will we prevail? How will we, how will we survive? And the rabbi was very taken aback by that. And he says, you know, okay, by all means, you know, and they, and they stuck together for the next, uh, for the next 12 months. When they were, uh, freed, when they were liberated, the the rebbe getting close to this, uh, you know, to this uh, boy Moshe Weiss, he says, um, you know, can you help me bury all the dead? There were a bunch of dead people there. He says, of course. And he started helping him, doing whatever the rabbi asked him to do. And he started helping, you know, all the things. And this went on for about a year and a half. After a year and a half, the the you know the the rabbi goes over to him and says, you know, you have so you did so many things for me. Do you have any requests for me? So he says, he says, yes, I want to ask you for a blessing that I should have children that are tamidi chachamim. Big, big righteous Torah scholars. So the Rebbe, the Rebbe gave him a, a bracha that his children shall light up the world with Torah. 
after that, he says, listen, he goes to the rabbi, he says, listen, you know, I've been helping you, allow, uh, you know, around a lot. I haven't opened up a Gemara in about two years. I want to go back to Yeshiva so I could be able to go and learn. So the, the rabbi says, he says, you know, you think you understand, you know, you know, you understand what it means to be Mosul Nefesh. I don't even know how to, what's the term, how do you explain what Mesirat Nefesh is? Um, okay. Sacrificing of yourself for something else. He says, you know what's, what it means to sac, no, it's like, I don't know. It's like, I guess it's like chutzpah. You can't really explain it. Right? Um, it's like giving over everything for yourself. He says, you may think that giving over everything for yourself for somebody else is maybe skipping a meal or doing something for somebody else. He says, sometimes doing something for other people means that you close your Gemara and you're going to go help other Jews need to do what they need to do. And he says, fine. He says, what do you need me to do? And he says, and they, he, he didn't go to Yeshiva and he ended up going and they opened up schools, mikvahs, and they ended up doing tremendous things to try to rebuild the Jewish nation from the ground up. 65 years go by, and, you know, he had a son, and son was, became a very big rabbi, of Usher Weiss, and he, he, they, were, they were going, the father was now 80 years old, and he says to his uh, father, they were preparing a trip to go to Poland, and the father never returned to Poland, if I'm not mistaken, from then, and he asked him, and he says, uh, you, know, you know, he asked his father if he wants to come back on the trip. Surprisingly, the father says, yeah, 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 I, I want to go. And uh, they went together with the father on the trip to Poland, and then when they arrived at Auschwitz, the father stopped at a certain area. And he says, you know, this is the place that I last saw my father and my, and my, sibling, and my, you know, and my siblings. And he says, I remember the last words that my father told me. He says, he turned to me when he realized what was going on. And he says, he says, Moshe, he says, I want you to look after your brothers. And then I've never seen him again. He says, and shortly after that, my brothers died also. He says, I have, there's no way that I could be able to go and fulfill his wish to look after his brothers. He says, but, I, but then I realized, he says, just because I can't look after my brothers from my father and my mother, it doesn't mean that I can't look after my brothers from, from the Jewish brothers and sisters. And he says, from that, you know, from that on, I went. And I went and I helped the rabbi. We built it up. We built schools. We built everything because I gave everything over because I kept my word to my father. I did. I never forgot about my brothers. And I watched over my brothers. We're coming to the Pesach Seder. We're coming to this night. And we have to remember all our brothers and sisters out there that need us. That need us. They, they don't have anything. They don't know anything. You know, there's so many people that they're just depressed. They have nothing. They just need a hug. They need something. They need someone to speak to. They have nothing. They're so spiritually dead. There's nothing going on with them. They need somebody to talk to, somebody to invite them. Tonight is the night of unity. Tonight is the night that you go out and you bring people in together. The Benish Chai goes on. And he explains something else. He says that a man's nature is that a person doesn't understand suffering until he himself feels a little bit of suffering. And he brings another parable, another mashal. And he says like this. There was a king who his son was uh, becoming, uh, you know, going to be heir to the throne. And he was going to go and um, as, as the way that it usually goes in the kingdoms, you have to be trained and educated, you know, at the highest manner to know how to run a kingdom. So you have to learn everything from law to finance to like basic medicine. You have to learn, you have to be very, very well-rounded. So the king went and searched high and low for the best educator in the entire, in the entire country to be able to educate his son. And he kept on coming out to one guy. One guy kept on coming onto the top. So he invites this guy and he says, listen, I need you to educate my son everything from A to Z to become the next king. And the guy says, yeah, not a problem. And the king says, I'm going to test him. And if I am satisfied with it, then I double your wages. He says, you're going to get paid handsomely, but the better job that you do, the more that you're going to get paid. He says, very well. They make a contract and they start the, you know, they start the, the training. And as the training goes by, as years goes by, the king is extremely impressed with it. This guy is unbelievable. This guy is off the hook. He's able to train him on everything and even better than the king. Eventually comes a point in time, the guy gets older, the prince, and the, you know, he goes, says, go, go for your final test with the king. And the king tests him and he says, it's unbelievable. This guy is amazing. He's better than me. He knows so much information. You did an excellent job. He calls over the educator and he's about to pay him. So the educator says, well, you know, I'm, I'm done, but I have one more lesson to teach your, your son. Send him over to me. I need one more hour. The king says, fine. Sends the son over, uh, to the, to the educator. The educator goes, brings him down to his basement, his dungeon, and he says, please step over here, and, you know, listening to his teacher, and he takes him, and he, and he straps him to this, to this, like, this table, and the guy says, and the prince says, what are you doing? He says, you know, giving you your last lesson, and he straps him really tight, and it doesn't look good, then he takes out a whip, and he starts beating the prince, beating it, and beating it, and beating it, and blood is coming out, the prince is screaming, I'm going to sue you, I'm going to kill you, you know, like, you know, I'm going to get you, this is going to be your end, and the guy doesn't, he keeps on beating, beating, until this guy, this prince is bloody and bruised, Finally, the educator feels like he had enough. He lets him out. He says, okay, now you graduated. 
So he comes stumbling back to the king, the, to, you know, to the palace, and the king says, who did this to you? I'm going to have their head. He's like, it's the educator. He put me in the basement. He started whipping me. He's like, this, are you kidding me? He says, he, he calls over the, the, the guards. He says, arrest him and hang him immediately. Uh, he put him in the worst possible death. Uh, can you believe it? And they set him up. They capture this uh, this educator. They get him ready for it to be hung. And the king is so bothered by it. He says, why did he do it? Why? And he calls over before the before he gets hung. And he calls over the educator. And he says, listen. He says, you're going to die. And if I could make you die in a more gruesome manner, I would. He says, for what you did to my son. He says, but I don't understand something. And it's been bothering me. And he says, I need to know before you die. He says, why did you do it? Why did you go and destroy everything? You are going to be the top. You are the best. You are set for life. Why did you go and ruin everything? So the guy says, says, listen, he says, you hired me to do a job. He says, and I take my job very seriously and I make sure that I did a very good job. And he goes on and he says, he says what is the king going to do? He says he's going to sit there and give out orders or he's going to go and he's going to judge cases and he's going to go and he's going to have to uh, mediate between different things and he's going to have to dis- dis- describe uh, or decree punishments to certain crimes. And he says, of course, he's going to have to do all of those. And he says, exactly. He says, imagine somebody goes and steals $100. And the, this prince, who's been pampered his entire life, never stepped a day in a war, doesn't know what pain feels like, sees that someone you know, stole $100, and going to be like 100 lashes. He says, but this, this person can't even last three lashes. After, by the time 50 lashes is going to come, this body is going to already be ripped in half. But the king gave an order. You can't, you have to go on with the, with the order. He says, this guy would judge so, he would so much be misjudged all the people because they, he wouldn't be able to attribute a correct punishment for the crime because he'd never felt anything. He's been pampered his entire life. He says, I wanted to make sure that he judges everybody rightly and justly. He says, because of that, now he knows what one lash feels like, what is the difference between two, three, and four. And forever until the end of days, he's going to remember before he judges somebody for death or for penalty or for lashes, he's going to know exactly how much this person deserves, exactly how much this person needs because he was there. He felt it. He was in that. He was in that. You know, when you look at it, you know, you look at the world, Israel is always one of the first scenes on, in like national disasters. It's like before the news crew comes to the, the Israel's already there. They've got like the tanks over there and the news crew is like, he's like, so how did they get over here? You know, and they're over there and they're interviewing back. Yes, uh, we heard that it's going to be an earthquake. We came down, we nailed down the floor, so no shaking. And we came here before, we got to prepare everybody, nobody gonna get a help, nothing. All while eating galinim, right? So, they, you're, they, they're in there. Israel is always one of the first on the scenes of national disasters. You look at it, I'll give you some examples. In uh, 2010, Haiti, Israel was the first on the scene. In March 2011, the earthquake in Japan, also one of the first countries to send aid was Israel. In India, 2001, it was an earthquake. Guess who was there? In El Salvador, 2001, another earthquake. In 1999, a Turkish earthquake. New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina. Israel was always on the scene, always sending it. The 2004 tsunami, there were 60 tons of international aid that was sent to Indonesia and 82 tons that were sent to Sri Lanka. So you have all these things. Israel is constantly sending aid. They're always there. Even even in their enemy countries that go and they, they have uh, you know something that Israel knows how to deal with these things. I remember growing up and I this just popped into my head and I don't remember all the details on it, but there was some sort of I don't know if it was in Lebanon or, or something there was a building collapse or something like that. And Israel knew how to deal with that because they dealt with explosions and things like that. They sent their own cranes in there to go and save people. Now why is Israel a tiny country, not the most financially, you know, as as all the larger countries there, are always sending aid and are always helping everybody else? Because we know what it feels like to be persecuted, to be run, to be chased, and to go through so many problems. We know because we felt it and we lived through it. And when you feel through that, then you could attest to that and you could be like, you know, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through and I don't want you to go through it because I've been through that. And that's why Israel's always on the first of the scene. When we go and we look at it and we say, Pesach Matzah Emarot. We're thinking about it. Let's at least do it. Okay, we're confusing and we're... But let's do it chronologically. Pesach should be at the end. That was our... When we got out, Passover, once we got out. We should start off Matzah, Marol, and then Pesach. Why are we starting with... Why are we starting with Pesach? And the answer, the Sfas Emes explains. And he says, you know why? He says, because we start off with... with um, with Pesach, because the, we realize that the way that we got to redemption, the way that we actually were able to be redeemed, the goal was to be redeemed. But how do we get there? 
through matzah and maro. We have to go through all that. Maro, the punishment, the, the brutal hardship that we went through, that is what all build us for success. And you should know that every one of you, whatever hardships that you go through in life, this is what builds you for who you are. This is what makes you be able to accomplish. People that aren't able to have any children, they go and they, you know what happens after by eventually they have a child? They open up organizations to help people have children. People that go and go through different sufferings in life, they're going to go, they see what teenage people, they go and they open up centers for it. The problems in life is what brings you your biggest success. That's why the Shlach just brings a Minak that people go and they kiss the Ma'ol. They give it a kiss to it because they know that all the bitterness, all the problems that come in life is really for our benefit and really helps us become what we are. So now let's go through a little review and then we'll uh, finish off shortly. The question that we ask, we ask uh, we, let's go through the four questions and we'll, we'll break it down very, very nice. On all nights, we do not dip even once, but tonight we dip twice. Why are we, why are we dipping twice? And the answer is, is because the first, the first time that we're dipping is what is reminding us why we got into the exile. We got into the exile because we had Sinat Hinam. The second dipping is how do we get out of the exile? Agudat Ezov. We gotta go and we gotta unite together. The second question. The second question is as on all other nights we eat bread, but how come tonight we're eating matzah? Matzah is something very interesting. You could look at it at both. It could be either something that is slavery or something that's noting freedom. And the answer is, it really is both. We're free now, but remember where you came from. Remember what you have to be thankful for. Remember what you have to be grateful for. The question... Matzah could... Matzah, we ate when we left Egypt because it denoted our freedom because we couldn't stick around and wait for it. And at the same point in time, it's Lechem Oni, it's also what we ate in Egypt as well. So it's denoting both, it's conflicting. The answer is no, it's not conflicting, it's you are free, but remember where you came from. And that's how you can be grateful and thankful. The question number, the, the, the third question in the Manishtana, we asked on all other nights we eat vegetables, but tonight we're eating bitter herbs. We can only relate to others when we deal to the bitterness. We're going and we're saying the story of Yitzhak Mitzvah. You want to relate to that? You got to feel it. You got to feel it a little. So we eat something that's, that's bitter, that's difficult, that makes us cry, that's, that's something that's, that's, you know, going to make you uh, feel a little bit something towards, towards that, that emotion. Then you, you know what? I could relate a little bit. You could relate a little bit. It's going to change the whole thing. Now we have the final question that we have to answer. And that is, why do we recline? Why do we recline? Let me show you something very beautiful from Benjamin Przansky. He brings down the Sfas says that the, fir- the four cups, they trigger a redemption of the soul. It's a gulat hanefesh. The reclining generates a gulat haguf, a, a uh, redemption of the physical being. Now, Rabbi Avram Shor explains it like this. He says that we have five senses, right? We have sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. The first four are all in the head, right? We have the hearing, the, the smelling, the, ta- the, the tasting, the seeing. Those four are represented by the four cups. The touch, that is represented by reclining. Now, why is that represented by the reclining? There's a Mishnah in Pelkei Avot that Shimon ben Omel, Shimon his son says, I didn't find anything good for the body other than silence, which is just a general, this is like just a general good idea. When you don't have anything to say, don't say it. Right? I have a problem with that because I just speak. I don't like, there's like, there's like, you know, filter, there's like, there's no filter. It's just like, it goes out. But, the Chachamim says, it's something I need to work on. You have to learn how to be quiet. You have to learn how to not talk. You have to learn when you, there's nothing to say, you don't need to, you don't need to speak anything. Says the Sfat Emes, he says, this is not only referring to the mouth, it's also referring to the body. Sometimes the best time for the body is to keep the body silent. Lotov elaguf, to the body, elashtika, which means this silent the body's needs. The body always asks, you know, there's, you constantly have a struggle in your body. You have the spiritual wanting to do one thing, and the physical body wanting to do something else. He says, what we need to do is the shtika of the, of the body. We have to silence the body. The, silence all the desires and things and the, 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 the chasing that we want in the body. And this is, this is represented by lying. When we lie down, the body is still. You're, you're, you're in like a resting mode. You're not doing anything to the body. So we're, we're putting ourselves into the mind thinking that, you know what? He says we're running away from our bodies and we're going into our spiritual state. We're focusing only on our spiritual thing. The Maral explains, and he says, freedom means severing all connections and attachments of external forces. You know, like, I'll explain it like this. You know, you have, now it's like a new, now it's like a thing, you know, people, like, I need to find myself. I just need to know who I am. I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm so much involved in here. I just need, I just need some space. Yeah, and they, right, and they go, and they sit in the, and, and they, like, close in the room, and they stay over there. And they're like, I just need to know who is me. 
You know, very much, everything is very much about me. Problem is, it's a great idea. Problem is, they go into the room and they're just on their iPhone and Facebook and YouTube. They're not really doing you. You're just doing, you know, just doing the same thing you're doing out here, just in there. But there is something about getting away from it all to realizing who you are. If you really want to go and find out who you are, you isolate yourself. You keep your, you know, you take a walk in the mountains with Mace. I don't know. You, you take a walk somewhere and you put yourself in a, in a, in a situation with only yourself with nothing else, only on yourself, then you're able to realize who you are. When you break away everything physical, then you're able to really check inside what's really you and who is really you in the spiritual sense. What we're doing is we're breaking our, ourselves away. We're lying down. We're breaking away from the physical and realizing what is the spiritual. That is getting to the essence of where we are. We're looking at matzah. Matzah is basic. It's nothing. There's nothing to it. It's just water, flour. It's nothing to it. It's the most basic thing. It's a poor man bread. A poor man doesn't... De- poor man cannot be like, you know, like, I am my money and my cars, my horses, whatever, and my boat. They're nothing. It's nothing else. The poor man doesn't have anything other than what he has is, is himself. The poor man is only himself. That's what we're denoting by, by matzah. We're going and we're reclining. We're saying that we're leaving all the physical stuff. We're leaving everything and we're putting everything into, into the spiritual, into the spiritual essence of it. And that's why you have people that say, you know, Judaism, religion, so many laws, so many stuff. You know, if you're telling me to be free on Passover night, then very good. I have like 64 mitzvot I have to do on Passover night. Leave it. Like, be free. Let me put my feet on the table. Okay, I'll recline. I'll drink wine. I like that part. Let's keep the, skip the matzah. Why do we have to read for Let's be free. What is we doing? Are we free? Are we slaves? If we're free, then stop making me do so many things. And the answer is, Judaism has something very, very beautiful about it. We're in a physical body. And in order to know who we are and live in the same space that with a, with a bunch of other people is very difficult because you can't get to know who you are. Through the mitzvah, through the Torah, you're able to break away from the physical temptations, from the physical desires that drag you from really who is your true self and what is you need to do, and it brings you to into where you are. So now when we look when we look at, at Pesach and when we look at, at the entire thing, we're thinking, okay, like, what's going on over here? We have so many conflicting things going on over here. And the answer is, there's nothing conflicting. It's all ingredients for your success. Everything here is spelled to know what you need to do. We're looking, are we free or we're slaves? Everything has a reason for it. Everything has a reason. Do you understand? Should we make a quick review? No, yes. Okay, let's do a quick review. Mm. Let's do a quick review. So now... Because this is so beautiful, and if you understand this, your Pesach should be different. Your pe- you have to realize, when you're looking at anything Jewish, it's not just like, okay, we gotta do this, because we gotta do this. No, there's so much stuff to it. It's so beautiful, it's so deep, it's so amazing. And if you don't know anything, and if you don't, that's fine. But don't, don't think of it as just like, you know, stuff that you have to do to make God happy. You know, because if you're not gonna lean to the left, you have to do it again, and no one's gonna be happy, and you're not gonna have a good year, you're not gonna do that, you take the, the wine, you know, people do school off, you take the wine, you pour on your toes, you're gonna get married, you're gonna do this. Alright, you guys know that? That's your people are laughing, you know. So, you're missing the main, the main point of, of the whole, uh, pestle setup. Um, the, so let's, let's do a quick recap. So now, we started off, cause this, this was a deep class. This was a, it was a deep class, not our usual class, but, yeah, I think it's it's more beautiful the deeper that you get. The okay, so now we started off with questions. The questions was: it seems like everything is confusing, everything is conflicting. Are we free or are we slaves? It doesn't make sense. If you want to chain your kids to do something, teach them one way. Stop showing, telling them conflicting uh, signs. Then we went and we started explaining on the idea of why we are in exile. Why we are in exile. And the way that we broke it down, by the way, every one of the four questions, we're able to learn something else from it to know what to do with the Pesach Senda. So, the, when, we, when we started off with the, um, with, with the, with, with the Sinat Khanam, with baseless hatred. We're saying, why, why, where is the baseless hatred? The baseless hatred, the reason why we're not in, in Jerusalem now is because we have baseless hatred. Why don't we at least hint to it that there is some sort of, or at least say something about baseless hatred in the Agadah? And the answer is, it, it's all over. It's all over there. That, that is the reason why also we have the two dippings. The two dipping. One is to realize why we got into the trouble, and one is how to get out of the trouble. Then we said about Matzah. Matzah is, is something that either gives you something that is um, free or slavery. And the answer is, it's both. Because you are free now, but remember where you came from. Because you're not going to be able to be thankful or grateful unless you know where you came from. Then we said about the bitter herbs. Bitter herbs is in order to realize, in order to appreciate, in order to help somebody else, you have to, you have to be a little bit involved with that person. You have to know where that person's coming from. Get that bitterness. If you get that bitterness, you'll be able to, to, uh, relate to that. 
And finally, we recline. Why do we recline? To get away from all the from, from all the physical. We're putting our body in sleep, and we're focusing only on the spiritual. We're focusing only on the spiritual. This is this is all a recipe for next year to be in Yerushalayim. We said we explained, and we said that um, everything is. You know, we have to go through our hardships in life in order to get to where we are. And the question is, that's nice when you're looking back. But like, come on, I'm like, hardships is hardships. No one wants hardships. And again, you know, no one should get any hardships. The, the, uh, I heard it once a nice, very, uh, you know, great parable. Like, life is like a cup of coffee. I don't know if you guys ever heard of this. You take the, the, you know, you take something bitter, the coffee, and you put it in the cup. Then you take something sweet, the sugar, and you add it in the cup. Then you take something hot, the water, and you add it in the cup. And then you take something cold, the milk, and you add it in the cup. And you mix all these ingredients together and you have a delicious cup of coffee. He says, but if you have, if you have, you know, in life, in life, wait for the... Okay, in life... In life, they got it from a rabbi. They, um, in life, we have many things in life. But if you're dealing only on the bitterness, only on the problems, only on this, then it's very problem. But you look at everything together, it's a delicious cup of coffee life. Life is a delicious cup of coffee that till, till the very end drop. And unfortunately, sometimes and we don't wish it on anybody. Now, they should go through any hardships or any problems. But when you do, you know that there's a loving God and, you know, that's, that's giving this to you for a reason and a purpose. There was... Um, See, I guess it was good that we finished up with that. You know what I'm so, um, now I'm scared. Should I go and yeah, more? Okay, so uh, we'll finish off with one, uh, one, with one story that I, I read from Rabbi Yaman Przatsky that said like this. says that, uh, beautiful, beautiful story. There was once a rabbi, and this rabbi was a, he was a very, very, very devoted teacher. Like, he wouldn't miss nothing for like this is in Israel he like no, no matter what happened he was always there always teaching very 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 devoted to his profession and to his job and that's why the principal one time was walking and he saw that the rabbi left the middle of class ran to the office to give to make a phone call and then ran back afterwards and the the principal I mean that's perfectly fine the rabbi is allowed to do whatever he wants but this rabbi never did it before in his entire career and bothered him the principal so he goes over to the rabbi afterwards and he says you know I don't understand. He says, he says, I've never seen you do anything. He says, and I saw you run so fast out of the, out of the classroom, and then you ran right back in. He says, why did you leave in the middle, in the middle of class? Something that you've never done before. So, the rabbi, his name is Rabbi Stern, he goes and he says, uh, you know, when I was, um, when I left my house this morning, he says, I, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, he goes and explains, he says, you know, he's making a wedding for one of his children, and they needed extra money, so they went to a gemach, to a, uh, like a free loan society, and to get a loan for, for money for the, for the wedding. And he took, you know, he took a, you know, a few thousand dollars for that, and he put it in his, in his pocket, in his old, you know, suit pocket on his, on his, uh, in his closet. And as he was leaving the house, he overheard his wife, you know, say, like, you know, I'm gonna get rid of all the clothing, all the, all the, you know, old clothing that we have, you know, that all your old suits and give away to, you know, spring cleaning. So, he goes and he says, and, and he says, as I was in the middle of class, I remembered that the money was in my old suit. And I was like, oh my gosh, he says, it says that could be, like, you know, that, was, and he just, so I ran out, I called my wife, and the, and he heard he heard the he heard the conversation. The rabbi heard the conversation. The conversation was the the the, the rabbi uh, the principal heard the rabbi say says uh, did you already clean out the closet? And the wife says yeah. Says did the garbage man already uh, take out the garbage? And he's like and she's like yeah. And he's like thank you. And he's like okay no thank you. And he hangs up and he goes right back into the class. So you know the principal says says but you know the money is is in your thing. He's like yeah. He says what are we supposed to do? He says, this rabbi didn't even sweat a little bit, didn't even break, didn't even tell his wife what happened. Just went right back into the class. So the guy was like, he's like, he's like, you know, dude, he didn't say dude, but he said dude. Um, he says, uh, how did you do that? How did you get the strength? How did you get the strength and the ability to be able to, 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 to not even blow up, not even to say anything? Why are you throwing out all my suits? You know, people, you know, would get. He says, nothing, not even a little bit. So the rabbi says, says when I was in, in uh, when I was a young man in yeshiva, he says that my rabbi came and told me, he says that, the, in life, we're, we're faced with many tests, with many nisyanis, with many, many tastes. And he says, the purpose, the purpose for which we are placed on this earth are for those tests. Don't mess up those purposes. And when this happened, the first thing that came to mind was that, he says, this is all a test and this is one of the reasons that I'm here in this world. This is what am I going to get angry for? What am I going to get upset about? You think it's going to make any difference? He says, it's not going to help anything. He went and he says, you know, there's nothing. He went right back into the class without skipping a beat and continuously. Even though this is a guy on a rabbi salary who now has to figure out to get more money for the wedding and I'll pay double for whatever that he, whatever that he took out. 
There was once a, uh, um, we'll finish with this, uh, with this thought. There was once a uh, tightrope walker that would go and he would, um, you know, walk on rope. And uh, he, you know, everybody was all amazed. You know, he would walk back and forth on the ropes, do flips and sit on that. And then he would go, at the end of his show, he would go and, and he would ask the audience, he says, I need a child. I'm going to put a child in a barrel and I'm going to wheel, you know, whatever. Do some sort of trick with the child over the tightrope. So he says, any... Uh, Volunteers, thank you. Any volunteers? Of course, nobody is going to be a you know volunteer. So a little boy picks up his hands. I'll be a volunteer. So the little boy goes up and he gets into the barrel. The guy goes on the tightrope, goes back and forth. Everyone's like you know holding onto the cheers, you know saying you know please stop the show, let's finish this, you know I don't want to see this anymore. Funny what people are entertained. People are entertained, but like oh, ah, you know, and then it's like oh it was great. I'll pay more money for that. So the. He goes and, and everything, he finishes off with great, everyone claps, everything is amazing. The, you know, one of the, you know, attendees over there that were in the, you know, in the show go over to the boy and says, how is it that you were not scared? You just walked up so, you know, right up to, to there and did everything. How are you not scared at all? So the boy replied, said, you know, he says, that man is my father. He says, I know I'm in good hands, and I know nothing's going to happen to me. He says, when we live through life, knowing that our Father in Heaven is orchestrating and doing everything that we need to do, we're not going to sweat it. We're not, we know that we have a Father in Heaven, and he's, going to, and, he's, and he's accomplishing everything and doing everything for us, and not harming us in any way, and only doing for our benefit. And we look at Maral, we look at Pesach, we look at all these things, but, 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 bitter, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, but relax, but you have a Father in Heaven who loves you, and He's not gonna let you get hurt, and He doesn't want you, He's gonna, He's gonna take care of whatever happens. He says, when we figure out all these, all these secrets, all these beautiful things inside, inside the, the, the Haggadah, inside the Seda, we realize it's just not a, not a night to say a story. It's a night to relive it. It's a night to realize who you are. You are children of God. You are somebody who is so special, so amazing, that nothing bad will ever happen to you, because God is always watching over you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.